Today's podcast is Slaves. I have spoken on the subject several times, but I will emphasize once again and on these particular scriptures, which I'm about to get into. First, I would like to say the Bible is not a false doctrine now. Now, there are false interpretations of the scriptures, but it is not a false doctrine. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. For clarification, Ephesians chapter 6 deals with authority. Back then, and for all cultures of the day, the term slave meant that you were a servant to the debtor that you had to pay off. You've been listening to the slave owner's lies rather than the truth of God. And this is what Satan and racists want you to believe. The slave owners and racists use the scriptures and the Bible for their own interpretations to further their hate and bigotry. And although slavery in the USA did not start out that way, originally they used white slaves as well as blacks in regards to paying off debts or working. But once they saw a huge profit in it, they targeted the black man exclusively. God wants us to be obedient because it also showed that if you show obedience to the one you owe, then it becomes good practice to show obedience to the supreme master, which is God. Colossians chapter 3 is talking about obedience in the household among husbands and wives. And it also talks about obedience, per se, in the workplace. Again, the person who is in the position of authority is deemed or called master. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 talks about how a Christian should conduct themselves even when that master, or to put it in simple terms, that person that they owe is being harsh towards them. And even today, when you were being done wrong by, say, the person on your job, you still conduct yourselves in a Christian-like manner. This is God's message to masters. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. You know, even Hitler read the Bible, but he still had no understanding or a false one that he presumed, which is why the Holy Spirit is so important to allow in a person's life, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, which is the real meaning. The truth shall set you free. In my book, 
the color of you, I go into it more extensively about who the black man is in the Bible. And no one, and excuse me, and no, the, the white race is not the Christian race exclusively. It'll surprise you because we're prominent in that, in it way more than you think, in it being the Bible. Because so many lies have been told boldly using the name of Jesus. And they'll have a place in hell reserved for, for them for those lies. Now you know. Enough said. Okay, so we're talking about the five principles that make a man. The first one, in allegiance to God. Not just any God, but God the Father, a true and living God. To be a man, to be a man's man. A, a man's man has to be a man dedicated to God, a man who puts God first. A man who has priorities, his priorities set in God. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And in it, it says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. God looks for men after his own heart. God looks for men who desire to be like God. And I'm not talking about in the sense of to be a God, but to be like God, to follow behind God, to do what is right in the eyes of God. And David is that sort of man. David, David was that type of man. And you figure, well, why David? Well, David has flaws, just like you and me and everyone else. See, there's a myth, so to speak, that people think that when they read about people in the Bible that they were superhuman or, or they had extraordinary skills, they were simple people who followed in the footsteps followed in the paths of God. And they had flaws, they had weaknesses, they did wrong. David was no exception. <laughs> David, you talk about the Ten Commandments, he broke just about all of them. But he was still a, a man after God's heart. Well, we all know the story of David, you know, him versus Goliath, David and Bathsheba. David going after Bathsheba, he, he, he went after a woman who was married and then plotted to have her husband killed, which would make him a murderer. <clears throat> he was an adulterer. And he had many other indiscretions. 
but he was still a man of God. <clears throat> now, don't get the impression that you purposely go out and do something, some heinous act or some sort of crime or some sort of, you know, an, an adulterer. That's not the point. The thing is, it shows that being human, being a man, you can have flaws. And once you realize those flaws, once you atone for those flaws, once you seek forgiveness and say and forgive, so to speak, then the door is open for you to be a true man of God. <clears throat> so seek ye first the kingdom of God is what you do with the things that he asked. Seek first God. Be that type of man who seeks God first. Number two, be a man of love. And what I want to do is show you this uh, video about love and God. Check it out. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the third key word in this prayer, how Israel is called to love their God. But what does that mean? Love is a very common word in most languages, as it is in ancient Hebrew. It's pronounced ahava. It most basically refers to the kind of affection or care that one person shows another. It sometimes describes physical affection, like the king of Persia's love for Queen Esther. But there are other Hebrew words that more specifically refer to physical desire or sex. Ahava is more broad. So Abraham had ahava for his son Isaac, that's parental love. Jonathan showed Ahava for his friend David. That would be brotherly love. In fact, a whole group of people can have Ahava for their leader, like when the Israelites showed love for their king David. Ahava can even describe loyalty between political allies, like Hiram, the king of Tyre, loved David. They had good relations, and so Hiram wanted to help David's son Solomon build the temple. These are all different kinds of affection described with the one word, Ahava. Now, all of this is helpful for understanding God's Ahava in the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites, God showed affection for you. He chose you because of his Ahava for you. So God doesn't love because the Israelites earned it or deserve it. It simply originates from God's own character. He loves because he loves. This is why Jeremiah could say that God's love is everlasting. It has no end because it has no beginning. God's love just is an eternal fact of the universe. And God's love is not a duty. It's a genuine feeling and affection that God experiences. This is why the prophet Hosea compares God's love for his people to a husband's ahava for his wife, or to a parent showing ahava for their child. It's one of the strongest things that God feels. But that doesn't mean that God's love is just a feeling. God's love is also an action. It's something God chooses to do. Like when Moses says, because of God's ahava for your ancestors, he brought you out of Egypt with great power. 
God's love isn't just a sentiment, it is something God does. And so, in the Shema, Israel is called to respond to God's Ahava by showing Ahava in return. And just like God's love, human love is to show itself through actions. Like in Deuteronomy 10, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and serve him and to keep his commands? All of these actions are centered around love. If I'm not doing them, I don't actually love God, I just say I do. Which leads to one last thing. In the Old Testament, I show my love for God by how I treat the people around me. In Deuteronomy, we read that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he shows ahava for the immigrants among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you also show ahava for the immigrants. So the people are to imitate God's ahava by showing ahava for others. This is the idea underneath the famous line, you shall ahava your neighbor as yourself. And so at the end of the day, all of this is rooted in God's own eternal ahava. Like we read in the New Testament letter of 1 John, we love because God first loved us. And that's the Hebrew word, ahava. Now the word also says for husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, yes, we're talking about men of honor, but I specifically want to talk about those men of honor who are married because you carry a big responsibility you are the prototype of what men should be when you when you follow correctly in God's footsteps. A man, when he puts God first, and then he puts his wife second, and then his children. Because when you follow in that order, you are following the path that God has ordained for you. So we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. We are to make sacrifices for our wives. But showing that love, showing that passion, and marriage is a is an ongoing thing. When you come into that covenant, it's a serious thing. God doesn't play around with that. And today, too many people, too many men, don't take it serious enough. Not enough take it serious. And we need to start taking it seriously. Definitely need to start taking it serious. If there's a problem, if there's an issue, hang in there and work it out. Life is about making changes. Life is about working through the problems to succeed. Working through the problems to get better. It's not about having a wife and discarding her. It's about showing that love, that you made a commitment to that person, a lifelong commitment to death do you part. So don't jump ship, 
don't um, fall out of love and figure, well, I can find someone else. You made a commitment to God. God looks for you to keep that commitment. That's a true man of honor. Things happen all the time. There are, dis there are disagreements all the time. thing is, when there's a disagreement, you don't jump ship. You hang in there. You follow it through. So those men, men out here who are not married, contemplate on getting married or look forward to getting married in the near future, make sure it is someone you truly love. Make sure that you are prepared for this commitment. Make sure, because you have pledged to God, and God holds you to it. Then Right, number three, truth. Be a man of truth. Be a man whose word is bond. Be a man who can be trusted. Because when you are trusted, your name takes shape. Your last name is like good credit. You can go a long way because you have that trust with people. In John uh, chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There is freedom in truth. When you speak truth, when you are about truth, you don't have to constantly look behind your back. You don't have to constantly try to uh, think about um, some egregious act that you came up with and lied about and then trying to rehash it because it was made up. When it's truth, you don't have to make things up. You know, recently I've been I've been I've been watching uh, Amos and Andy, the old uh, television show. And I'm not talking about the the radio broadcast. <clears throat> I'm talking about the broadcast back in the early '50s. Now, it was banned off television because the NAACP deemed it. Um, um, <laughs> In effect, they, they deemed it offensive, but <laughs> looking at the way people are today, some of my young black people, even older ones, um, all the cursing and booty shaking, that's offensive. That's, that's just as, as offensive as some of the stuff that the NAAs See, uh, NAACP deemed offensive about Amos and Andy. It was a funny show. You need to check it out on YouTube. It was a funny show. But they, they did have some good qualities about it. But anyway, and one of the, one of the bad qualities about it was Kingfish. Now, Kingfish basically was the show. It, it, it was called Amos and Andy, but 
really Kingfish was the show. Kingfish was the type of man who was conniving, scheming, lying. Didn't want to work. And it made me think about truth. His name, and I'm t- now I just mentioned about when your name is, is good and it's like good credit. He was the opposite of that. When his name was said, <laughs> people people had a look of scorn, so to speak. Like I said, it was to- the total opposite of what a good name should be. His name was bad amongst the community. Everybody knew that he was scandalous, shiftless, and everything else of indiscretion that you could think of. Men of honor, you don't want to be a kingfish. You want a good name. Even from people who had never heard of you before, never seen you, but somehow they may have heard of, of your name. That goes a long way. Goes a long way. Number four, dignity. What is dignity? Dignity is the state of or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. Like in Matthew 19, 19, it says, honor father and mother. A man of honor honors his father and mother. You should be you should treat others as you want to be treated. Be humble. Speak with dignity. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouths. Stop all the cursing, stop all the lying, stop all the slanderous language and speech. Speak with dignity, speak with humility. Up your, up your vocabulary, man of honor. Up your vocabulary and stop all the cursing. Cursing is childish. Cursing is buffoonish. Now I can understand when one gets angry, okay, they, they said a curse word. But I'm talking about a constant usage of, of swearing. There's no need for that. None at all. Speak with dignity and walk with dignity. Man of honor. And number five, responsibility. Be responsible for everything you do. Be responsible at work. Be responsible in all your actions. Take responsibility. When you work, you do it to the utmost of God. You do it 100%. You put out the best you can. But in everything, you do it to the glory of God. Be responsible. Be responsible for the, the household bills. Be responsible. Don't push it off on the female, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever. Stop doing that. Be responsible. You have children, be responsible for them. Don't have to be made to be taken to court to take care of your own children. Be responsible. Grow, man 
principles of the five principles that make a man God, love, truth, dignity, and responsibility. Take hold of that. Take heed of that. Wrap yourself around that. And blessings to you.